My name is Christina, and thank you for checking in to the Home for Rebid OCs. This is a podcast where a guest and I talk about our original characters, the good, the bad, and the self-inserts. And today, our guest is Colin. How are you doing today? Tonight? Whatever. I'm doing pretty well, all things considered. Thank you. Good. It's good to be here. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I think I was like, this thought occurred to me a few nights ago when I was like planning out my week. And I think you might be one of, if not the first, maybe one of the first actual like references to be on the show. Like, hey, I like, hey, this person is cool. You should be like, they should be on your show. <laughs> and you come recommended from, from a good source, our, our mutual friend, Ryan. So it's a very cool guy. I quite like him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, from what I know of them, the entire Mitchell family is just very good people. Hmm. I can believe it. Oh, yeah, definitely. But we're not here to talk about awesome genealogy. Unless we maybe are? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think it'd be character relevant. Maybe we'd go on okay. a tangent later, but... Okay, okay. Well, who are we here to talk about then today? We're here to talk about Sally Norza, who is a sword master of Sea of Mine, um... Either the first or the second, I forget the exact order, tabletop character that I ever created, and that was about a year and a half ago now. Okay. Can you say, uh, can you say Sally's last name one more time? <laughs> I didn't catch it. Noriza, and don't worry too much about the pronunciation, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that's full pseudo-Italian. Okay. It's, it's made up. Okay. Okay. I mean, here on this podcast, we support linguistics of all kinds, whether fictional or real. <laughs> oh, to be clear, if anyone wants to, to comment... That's nonsense. That is not how you pronounce that. Please go ahead. I deserve it. No, um, hey, don't, don't, don't bully Colin for pronunciations that they gave their characters. Like it's it's fiction. We make it up. Everything goes well. Almost everything except for being mean to people. So, <laughs> so where where would you like to start with Sally? I have a jumping off point that we could talk about, or if you have one in mind, we can go from there. Um. Let's go with your jumping off point, I think, because if we if we leave it to me, I'll just bounce back and forth from tangent to tangent. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how familiar you are with the show. Sometimes that's just how the episode goes, and that's fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So the, the jumping off point that I had for Sally was you mentioned that she is an RPG character. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the absolute bare basics. What system did you create Sally for? Ironically, that immediately gets complicated because um, she was actually created for a system called uh, Eyes of Fantasy, which is, it's not something you can publicly play at the moment. Um, okay, like, is it, as in, it's still in, like, a playtesting or beta stage? Basically, yeah. Okay, um, okay. Well, I used to refer to it as homebrew, but homebrew means that you're making your content for someone else's system. So it's an original system that a, um, a friend of mine, who I, at that point, just met through a Discord server that I'm no longer part of, mm-hmm. um, he was one of the few nice people that I met on the fringes of a kind of mag group. Less said about that, the better. Okay, so less said. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's it's an interesting system because it uses either D8s or D6s for most things. Okay. But still applies the uh, higher low natural roll rules okay. a la D&D. Okay. Which means that it tends to be very, very high stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, like Risk, it uses a d6 for attack, which means that you have a higher than a 15% chance of rolling either a nat 1 or a nat 6. Mm-hmm. So it was a bit of a... Yeah. 
I, I don't regret the time spent there, but in retrospect, it it was a heck of a way to get into tabletop the first time because yeah, that that doesn't seem like maybe the easiest entry or the most intuitive system. Yeah, it, it definitely has its its ups and downs. Um, like, there's a lot of it that I like about it is the open character customization was the the thing that really drew me in because okay, okay. If I had started in 5e and I wanted to do a character like Stalite, it wouldn't really have been particularly easy. would have required a lot of... It would have needed a, a DM who is very homebrew savvy for that to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because there's not a whole lot of... Fighters are sort of comparable to what Sali is, but also not because a fighter is like an all-rounder. Yeah. And Sali yeah. is a hyper-specialized character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's... There are definitely a lot of... Um valid criticism that could be said about D&D 5e and one of them is that it's not always the most flexible but mm-hmm. that like you said that's where a lot of homebrew comes in well the, the flip side is that because 5e is so clearly defined it's a very easy system to get into to me that's mm-hmm. that's an advantage it is the biggest one I have friends who can well people complain about every edition of anything as big as D&D yeah so if friends are like uh, they ruined it when they went one made it all accessible and changed all those weird loopholes I used to make my overpowered PC. Yeah. <laughs> not, not that I don't understand wanting to have a power trip, but at the same time, the, the system not supporting that as much in a later edition, you can still go back and play 3.5. It's still there. Yes. They didn't take it from you. That That is very true. So you talked about how the character creation was really was really helpful in creating Sally. Like, mm. How did how did that maybe affect the way that you came up with her? Well, yeah, there, because he does want to publicly release it eventually, I want to be careful about going into too many specifics because I wouldn't want to risk having someone pluck the idea. Okay, definitely. Um, in in that case, then, um, if the base mechanics talk would be too spoilery, we can talk about maybe like how much of it was involved in like it, how much character creation helped to. Um, helps to influence her personality, her history, her what she's good at, that kind of a thing. Well, I think some of it is some of it is similar enough to existing systems that I can talk about it comfortably. Okay. Um, the names I know are, are big for him, so I'm just going to quietly not use those. Yeah. But there is a sort of um, trait system. Okay. And uh, basically it revolves around... Characters roll and get a certain starting stock of basically free character points that you can put towards whatever you like. Okay, okay, but point you buy can also, Yeah, exactly. Um, well, it's like there's a little bit of point buy in addition to rolling base attributes and stuff. Okay. Um, you end up picking a lot of sub-elements in order to get out towards certain stats. Mm-hmm. So it can, it can look a little intimidating at first because you're picking all these different elements from multiple different tables. Um... But at the same time, once you wrap your brain around it, it feels like you're making a character that is really fully your own. Okay. I think that was that was always, always my favorite part of the system. Um, yeah, I can understand that. So then where it gets really interesting is that there's also a, a basically trait system in the game. Okay. And do, you mean, do you mean traits in the, like, traits in the sense of curious or is good at basketball? Is, is good at basket weaving, or do you mean traits in the sense of, like, a high perception score in D&D, or an extra proficiency in the battle axe, that kind of a thing? It can kind of be both, to be honest. Okay. Uh, depending okay. on exactly, because basically it's like you 
suggest that you'd like to do a certain thing and talk it over with the DM. So, like, it's a very... The, the downside is that it's a very labor-intensive system, because to make sure that everything checks out, you need a DM who understands the existing stuff well, mm-hmm. so that they have an idea of what kind of numbers you should get for your thing. Okay, okay. But... So when I say traits, I mean you can pick things that are advantageous or disadvantageous, and the disadvantageous ones in particular, you can get extra point by for that. Okay, I the I I have encountered that before. You you yeah, take exactly. a negative trait in order to gain more more thing more points that you can use to offset the the negative that you're taking. Yeah, exactly. So that's the overall concept, mm-hmm. and. It's really interesting how it's factored that you can work with all that. Um, and with the Sole, I basically ended up... Remember how I said earlier that I understand wanting a power fantasy? Yes. Yes, we, we, we all have been there, Colin. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, as an early, like, first time doing proper tabletop, I played games like Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights when I was a kid, obviously, Dragon Age more recently, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'd never done, like, a true dice-rolling tabletop game before this. Yeah. So my first thought was, how can I min-max as hard as possible to mm-hmm. get the biggest number? Okay. And that that's what it started out as, but it very quickly, um, as I thought about it more, because the thing is that the traits aren't necessarily pre-built. Mm-hmm. Again, you can devise custom ones. So as I started getting into that, I actually thought, well, what are negatives that I can pick that will still be meaningful mm-hmm. that will also reflect more specifically on Sally's character? Yeah, yeah. That is that is a step that I am doing my best to implement in my own character creation process going forward because it's I I mean you may or may not have seen this post on Tumblr but like it's a, how it's important to when you're making a character like not necessarily like don't forget to add in things that your character is bad at doing mm-hmm. <laughs> because if they don't have things that they're bad at that they don't have things that they can improve on. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what were some of those like for for Sale in the beginning? Yeah, because she's ditched a couple of those um, mm-hmm. as time has gone on, which is certainly something we can, we can discuss. But um, one that was very reflective of where I was personally when I started creating her character was um, she had really, really bad social anxiety. Okay. Um, to the point that she had to roll to speak with any given person if she didn't know them well. <gasps> Aww. Which was, we can get into in a bit why that was actually a significant mechanical detriment for her character, aside, even aside from the obvious. Yeah. Because when you're, in, I mean, it's already pretty disadvantageous in tabletop, like, now you must approach the bartender and interrogate him for information of the vampire count's whereabouts. Mm-hmm. He's looking at me angry. Why is he looking at me angry? Yeah. <laughs> that struggle is very real. Well, the thing is that um, Sully was specifically created uh, within the system for this really interesting experimental thing, like basically a Discord server that was set aside as a 24-7 text RP. Interesting. Like an MMO hub, basically. Okay. Um, So the thing is, it was a city. So the first thing for Sully with devastating social anxiety is getting off the ship that she came in on. Mm-hmm. People. Yeah. And lots of them, I bet. Well, because of it, it's a hub. So, of course, it, it's not just a city. It's the 
biggest and bestest city of this whole region of the world, because it yeah. has to be. Let's see, that was... Should I just keep going through them? Yeah, sure. So that was um, that was the first, or one of the early ones. Mm-hmm. Another one, one that is less in- immediately embarrassing or humiliating for Salih, but potentially... It, it didn't really come up, but it could have gotten her into an order of magnitude more trouble, mm-hmm. is that she hated seeing people bullied. And yeah. you, can, you can start to see a connecting theme here with her character. Mm-hmm. So the thing is that if, if she saw that happening, she would be very likely to pick a fight on the spot. Yeah. In order to show up the bullies. Mm-hmm. Somehow that... I wonder sometimes if maybe uh, my buddy just never played on that because he was too nice. Yeah. Do you um, mean the... Are you referring to another player or the person running the game? The person running the game. Okay, okay. Um, but that one... That one never came up. One that did a couple of times but was resolved without going horribly wrong. Um, the last major pitfall that she had was that she was very obsessive about people needed to get the classification of her sword correct. Okay. Um, and she would lose her temper if they persisted in using the wrong term. Okay, okay. Was that because of any particular incident in her in her backstory, such as it was? Or is that something that only like got developed later on? That one... I can't quite recall, but I believe that from the start I had some idea about uh, that and the bullying thing and the social anxiety were all connected. Okay. And that um, Sally wouldn't necessarily know what to look at her as she entered the game because she's this very well-dressed, well-turned-out flamboyant woman, like classic uh, swashbuckler attire, basically. Mm -hmm. But she grew up in a working-class family. Okay. Um, in a, a deep area of her home country. And so the origin of of most of this stuff is that she had this this dream of becoming a swordmaster, like very quintessential heroine kind of thing. Yeah. Um so she was always playing around with sticks. Yeah. And that made her an instant target for every two bit bully in her hometown. Yeah. So that's where it comes from. Okay. Okay. And am I correct in following the train of thought that then the the kind of sword that she was very specific about is the kind that she wanted to have when she was a kid? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Okay. And in World, she was the first person to actually use a, a sword of that classification. Interesting. Paving her own way. I can respect that. Um. Well, it gets... It gets really interesting in a bit there. I think the last the last one was less meaningful. It was more of a quirky thing, but I still got a I still got an extra character point for it. Yeah. Um, which is that she knew how to speak and write celestial. And Okay. So everything that she wrote in her journals was always in Celestial. Okay. That never that never really became pertinent to anything. Um I had some idea that it might depending on what other party members she ran into, but never mm-hmm. really came up. Okay. Still, though, it's fun. Yeah, it's fun. I need to remember that for uh, for use in my own characters going forward. <laughs> Fair. Okay, so 
since you told me um, before we started recording that mm-hmm. uh, that Sally didn't all has not always been in RPG, um, or, well, an RPG character, I guess if you want to say it correctly. Uh, what were what were some of your favorite things that you did with her as an RPG character before she made the medium jump? Um, the funny thing is, is it was this very brief period um, before the jump because. Mm-hmm. I actually, um, I never got that far into it because mm-hmm. life happened. But I bought Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition and I got into the game. And I've always kind of been a great sword junkie. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime an RPG lets me. So I saw, oh, they added a Kensei class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, but there's not really any kind of Orochi equivalent in Baldur's Gate. I remember that much. So I figured, what's the closest I can do? Basically, in very short order, I just thought, what if I do like an... Like a, a quasi-Italian swordmaster that kind of fits the Forgotten Realms a little. Okay. Okay. Um, so I got as far as starting to clear out the first, like the, the mine level. Um, actually, I think we just about got through that. In, okay. In Bowler's Gate, and then pretty soon after that, it was that's when she made the jump. Okay. Okay. I actually have no experience with Baldur's Gate, <laughs> so uh, so I appreciate the clarification about it being in the Forgotten Realms. Mm. I don't know how I haven't played it at this point, but also whatever, I guess. <laughs> On the one hand, um, well, it's from that area that that area that era of isometric, like you know, slanted top-down RPGs, where because of the way the art style was, they never completely go out of style. Um, mm-hmm. The enhanced edition handles fairly well. Story's still good, all characters are still fun. Okay, but it's also a fantasy RPG game from the nineties. I mean, which yes. Means, um, so first off, the gameplay can be a little jank, and second off, the game has negative fifty qualms about killing you instantly if you do things you shouldn't. Yeah. That uh, that that tracks with what I've learned about uh, TSR's mm-hmm. game ethos up to, let's just say, the beginning of the millennia, mm-hmm. um, or the millennium. Mm. Like I said, linguistics are fake here. <laughs> that that's that is good for me because my language center is burned out in any case. That that is completely okay. For context here, we're recording on Friday after both of us have worked all day, so we don't have to worry about being super eloquent. If it happens, it happens. If not, that is also okay. That is excellent. So before we do the medium hop, um, does does Sally's like appearance change between iterations, or has she always kind of looked the same? Um, it, it changed pretty drastically as as a function of the medium hop but otherwise um okay her aesthetic has started to shift in more recent tabletop sessions um as a matter of necessity mm-hmm. we can get into that when it comes up because that there's a system change but it's tied heavily into the story okay as well as some social stuff that i'll only briefly touch on Okay. Okay. So, last question then before we before we cover where she goes next was what did she look like when you made her at first? If you get if you did like a visual like a visual thought, if you did a visual thought, like I said, we're not talking good tonight. Um, mm. What did she look like when you first came up with her? If you were giving thought to her visual appearance, 
You mean like right that first moment in Baldur's Gate? Yeah, like when when you were first making her like to start out as like an RPG character or like before she before she moved on to the next version of herself. I think the the initial version was as often happens with a character was more generic and inherently a little more self-indulgent. Yeah. Um, nothing wrong with that. So I I was thinking of a more like archetypal very Xena-like uh, dark-haired swordswoman. Okay. So Still commanding presence in a way. Um, I mean, obviously, Zena's awesome. It's not that I'm uncomfortable making that comparison, but the individual identity wasn't there so much yet, you know? Mm -hmm. Sculpted face, um, a little on the paler side, that kind of stuff. (laughs) There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with using a face claim. Mm-hmm. lots of believe me lots of people do it and the only reason that i haven't done that as much is that i'm really bad at coming up with face claims i'm right there with you i'm not sure how accurate that analogy was to my mental image but it, it, it's close enough yeah yeah there's a source of inspiration there mm-hmm. okay so we've been kind of alluding to it but but Saleh made a pretty big medium hop genre hop where did she go after being created as an RPG character. Oh, do you mean like from RPG into tabletop specifically or tabletop into the wider story? From from tabletop into like the wider story. Because mm. those things are going in tandem. But at this point, I don't know whether she'll ever make an appearance in the mainline books, but Sally is canonically an important character in the lore of the universe in which I'm writing my books. Which... Mm-hmm. I've called the Twin Spirals universe for reasons that aren't really relevant anymore. The uh, internal lore reasoning behind that name has disappeared, but I still like the name. Yeah. And it it sounds appropriately mystical and whatever, so I figured I'd just keep running with it. Yeah, um, go for it. I mean, I mean, Christopher Paolini wrote, th- he wrote three books and then decided that they needed to not be a trilogy, a cycle instead. So mm-hmm. don't feel bad about it. <laughs> uh... Sometimes I do. When I think about the drafts lost, the concepts thrown away on the ones that... <laughs> okay, okay, dour writer Twitter. <laughs> I mean, I can't get away from the brand I created inadvertently in my nascent years. It's just the legacy I must live with now. I respect the brand. Mm. But we were talking about where Sally went. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so we... Well, it's interesting because the medium jump wasn't wasn't linear, um, mm-hmm. and the process of how she went from just tabletop to being part of this wider canon. Mm-hmm. Um, we could go into that right now, unless you had something. Yeah, sure. Uh, ideally, I think it would work best if to discuss that. I just basically go through the journey as she actually went on as a character. Okay, so. We were going into the, we were going into, like, the jump. And we were okay with taking the jump in a non-linear fashion. Oh, yes, absolutely. So in that case, uh, for the moment, I'll just skip to the jump itself. Yeah, go for it. Um, Because basically, we did touch on earlier that, um, this is another reason I was careful not to give too many details. Um, You might have to trim some of this. If you feel that it, if you feel that it's necessary, I guess. I mean, I could always go through and add in like a like a swear effect beep over words that are definitely not swears. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that is true. You can always do that. But basically, we did discuss how the system that I created Solly in was pretty high octane. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can imagine... And that pretty it, proprietary. Yes. Um, well, that's the other thing. A lot of it's still in development, and anyone who's ever played in any kind of alpha, digital, or otherwise knows mm-hmm. how many things are theoretically supposed to work. And how many of them in actuality do not. So, the thing about the system using d6s for attack rolls and d8s for most other things, mm-hmm. and the extreme results this prompted, yeah, is that it was very satisfying when it worked. And the other thing is that it uses matched rolls instead of stuff like AC for attack and defense. Okay. So if, if you attack somebody, they roll a defense instead of just having a static armor class. Okay. Which I like as a concept because it feels very reactive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more similar to the way that... Um, can I reference Warhammer or is that inherently too grimdark to even... Honestly, all I know about Warhammer 40k is that it's just is that it's just a very it's a very grindy system and there's a lot of minis involved. Um, I, I've I've played a more story focused campaign and yeah, even just playing with a small group of people. Um, mm-hmm. So, the one of the things that I did like about my brief experiences there, though, is that it also uses the whole attack defense roles thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that feels more like the characters are actually acting against each other. Yeah. I, I guess the, this, this is build-up for, because I want to lay out all this out so that it makes sense when I explain the next bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very satisfying when Saleh, or for another player when their PC, would, when you get a nat 6 on your attack and at the same time your opponent gets a nat 1 and you instantly kill them. Mm-hmm. You already know the next, mm. the flip side of this. Yes. <laughs> when... <laughs> You roll a net one. Yes. And your enemy rolls a net six. And they instantly kill you. Yes. Um, that is, uh, I imagine that was probably quite brutal to experience. <laughs> and in retrospect, it was maybe not the best choice of system to try and do a character like Sally because the whole thing with her is that she didn't have some of the more extreme abilities of, well, the more extreme PCs. Because the truth is that I only min-maxed her within the context of a human character in a system that let you play some, or still lets you play some pretty insane things if you want. Okay. Um, so the trade-off for that was that I put it, everything into giving her high martial skill. Because the idea was she's not hitting as hard as some of her peers, mm-hmm. but she is. she will fight circles around you. Yeah, yeah. The the whole the whole finesse versus like brute strength kind of a mm. kind of a not a conflict, but that kind of conversation. Yeah, exactly. So cool, but if there is a fifteen percent chance that she rolls a nat one, and that nat one says, "Well, you may have plus three to every attack, but you rolled a nat one, so your attack auto fails." Yeah, um, that that takes a lot of the oomph out of a character like that. Yeah. Even if numbers-wise, she still outrolled her opponent, she got a nat one. So, um, mm-hmm. there, there's that 15% chance, or she could roll anything from a 2 to a 5, but her opponent rolls a nat 6, they still outroll her. There's a 30% chance that her statistical advantage becomes meaningless. Yeah, I, I feel like, give like you said, you called it a high-octane system, and I think we might just have to refer to it as that. <laughs> um, mm. in, in high-octane, it 
I feel I feel like I personally would get very frustrated with in playing with a system where the stakes are so high. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's that's the point that I was building to is that it was, and it took me a while to realize it because it was the first tabletop system that I'd ever been in. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a long time, I was just still riding the high of this is so cool. We're constructing stories together. Blah blah blah. We roll dice and thing happens. Mm-hmm. But as I went on, there was this growing sense of unease and dissonance between the things that we were going for and the things that were actually happening. Okay. Uh, do you mean that in the sense of like things that you and the other players were were trying to make happen and then they just weren't because of the disparity in the dice rolls? Or it was in more of like a the the DM or the, the game master was in conflict with the story that was being told. Yes. <laughs> that, that was a question. That was an option one or option two. And you said, yes. <laughs> so uh, all well, the above. <laughs> okay. Okay. I wanted, wanted to make sure before, before we like went into the explanation. Yeah. I'm still friends with him. There were circumstances that are not for me to divulge that um, on the one hand, made me understand the difficulty in addressing a lot of these concerns in a constructive fashion, none of that had to do with deliberate spite on, on his part or being a bad person or anything whatsoever. Yeah. Sometimes the narrative and the game just doesn't end up working. Yeah. And it's, and like, sometimes it's also better to not get into why it just doesn't work. So, mm-hmm. uh, so that, that if you're okay with that, that's just kind of what we can rule it as. Like, it just, it didn't work. Pretty much. Uh, like The one thing I am comfortable saying is that part of it was just a maturation process of realizing, you know, maybe we just want different things from tabletop. I mean, it's not as if he wasn't oh, gosh, aware yes. what the system was meant to do. So Yeah, like, if I can interject a personal anecdote here. Um, when I'm currently in, involved in a D&D campaign, that D&D 5e, that mm-hmm. at this point we've been playing for for just about a year, a little over a year. But one of the first things that we did when we all got together as a group was that we had a conversation about tone and like, what, like what kind, what things are you looking to kind of um, like, what examples are you interested in following? Like Mm -hmm. for my group, it was that a lot of us were familiar with, you know, the two juggernauts of D and D five, E critical role in the adventure zone. And so we were like, we don't want to necessarily be playing at like, critical role levels of realism where they track rations sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also don't want to be, you know, playing it always, you know, like, haha, haha, joke, 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 like the McElroys do. Mm-hmm. So if you are listeners, if you are interested in getting into a tabletop game, make sure that you have that kind of conversation first with the fellow players and also the person running the game, because hopefully it can save you a lot of trouble down the line. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll just second that. The worst thing that, or one of the worst things that you can do going into to a tabletop t- game is have this, or it can start with this idea of wanting to surprise people with your plans. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that if you don't talk to people, you don't learn some very basic things that are often easily negotiated if you find them out then and there. Mm-hmm. But later are um, baked into everything by now, and it's too late to turn back, and you just have a heap of regrets yeah. and why. I I definitely can sympathize with your situation, Colin. I I have been there. <laughs> so, um, 
without going into any further detail on that point, that's mm-hmm. that strife ultimately led to the jump happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew partly that I had, because I hadn't communicated either, I had too much pent-up strain to handle things in a perfectly mature fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still, we, we still had one big argument that I very much regret the way that I handled things. We mended the fences eventually, but it would have been better for it to have not happened. Yeah, I mean, um, hindsight's twenty twenty. It always is. Why can't it be foresight? <laughs> um, because if it was, then uh, then we would never grow and develop and change as people. Probably not. Um, but anyway. So the the smart decision that I made at this time was to realize that there was a a severe disconnect in what we wanted from tabletop. Mm-hmm. So in the run-up to that whole unfortunate argument, I was doing planning about, if we don't work this out, where do I go? Mm-hmm. And that actually led to me creating my own campaign setting. Because mm-hmm. things had gotten into this this peculiar state where a lot of core world-building elements of the universe in my books had been introduced on some level to the campaign setting in Eyes of Fantasy that Sully was originally created for. Okay. Which, in retrospect, while well-intended on my part, um, that's also something that I should have talked over more carefully, what the kinds of expectations might be. Um, Because obviously, when you have something as personal as one person's campaign setting and another person's written universe, Mm -hmm. there is a heavy risk that both of you are going to end up butting heads about differences in rules of the universe. Yeah. And that happened. So the thing for me as a writer is that on some level I already regarded the events in that campaign setting as as canon, albeit like this weird external canon, because mm-hmm. it happened in another universe. And so I needed, because I wanted to at least bring some of my favorite characters, Soleil included, mm-hmm. out, of, out of that universe, but I needed an explanation for, okay, how and why. Yeah. Why did they end up jumping over? Mm-hmm. And um, that I think I can get into a little bit. Well, I mean, that, that, that's just lore. That yeah. in itself I don't... Well, and actually, the, the funny thing is that when I discussed it with uh, my buddy after we reconciled things, um, mm-hmm. ironically, I found that he actually loved the idea of what I did. Oh, nice. So, basically what happened is that there was... There was this category of eldritch entities. Okay, okay. Um, this is both is and is not going the direction you think it is, I would wager. Okay. But on the one hand, had in their own strange, more than slightly alien way, um, good intentions towards the universe of the campaign setting. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there were eldritch entities from another universe with very different rules. Mm-hmm. wielding staggering amounts of power because... Because elders deities. <laughs> exactly. Um, I believe this is what you could call a blue and orange morality. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Um, not that there's anything in the lore with the color blue, mind you. <laughs> that would be weird. But um, that ended up not working out so well. I mean, technically it was an explanation that I reverse engineered from lore elements to justify things, but as I thought about it, I realized it made a kind of horrifying amount of sense. Okay. Because the original campaign settings universe had a lot of concepts like this, the idea of a cosmic veil that's basically a boundary between universes 
Mm-hmm. And I figure, well, if it exists, it can probably be torn, right? Yeah. So then I, I also had a, a plot line involving this crazed psionic. It's actually, I, I never made it explicit whether they were really uh, a woman or that was just the identity they were choosing to run under at the time that they made their appearances. Mm-hmm. But this crazed psionic um, Machiavellian merchant type character still known only as the Guildmaster. It's it's okay. generic, I think, but in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were basically a direct manifestation of the things that frustrated me about how stuff worked in the campaign setting. Okay. The good thing about that is that it still works as a character now that they are out of it. Mm-hmm. But basically, because, because of the way the setting was geared, there were always events that seemed climactic in the moment they happened but then would be shortly overshadowed by something else yeah um yeah there were a lot of consequence of high octane <laughs> exactly there were a lot of um deus ex machina's villains who seemed unbeatable in one encounter would be thrown down the next mm-hmm. and so the guild master was basically this per- perfectionist manipulator in a world that could not have been less compatible with that okay okay did did Saleh then come into con like into contact and conflict with the Guildmaster that caused this kind of force universe switch? She would have if things had proceeded just a bit further. Um, okay. Because Saleh's goal, this is a pertinent time to bring it up, was to spread her Montante school. Mm-hmm. So in the city that she was in, the guilds were this big quasi-corrupt thing. There was um, an NPC lord who I controlled, which strangely enough, uh, William Chenister was not a source of conflict. We could probably talk about him in the, uh, during a different podcast. Okay. Um, he got annihilated as a side effect of this whole event. I decided to risk rolling for it, and even though it was a d20, I still got an at one. So mm-hmm. there was really only one way to interpret that. Yeah. Um, so rip one of my favorite NPCs I've ever created. Yeah. For reference here, Colin just saluted the camera. So, um, I should, I should go to the end because most of what happened there pertains to a different OC who was one of the candidates to appear here, but did not in this case. Sounds like she would be a bonus episode subject. Um, but the Guildmaster, long story short, developed this, it is supposed to be an insane plan. It is supposed to be lunacy, the kind of thing that someone does when they have been so frustrated that they are no longer thinking coherently. Okay. And they decide, I will steal the entire city by creating a demiplane around it, and then (laughs) I will never let the gods have it back. Okay. Okay. That is, uh, that is honestly something that I don't think I've necessarily ever encountered, but I can can respect that as a creative enterprise. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was ridiculously complex. It had all these floating islands that like they set up in their private demiplane beforehand that were all staffed by mind-controlled mages to create this arcane lattice to create a bigger pocket dimension to hold the city. Like Okay, okay. Um legitimately ridiculous. Because it was supposed to be. Yeah. And so the problem is, this is the point where everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. That city, by coincidence, was the exact point in the universe that the Eldritch beings had chosen to use as their nexus. Because they determined, we can avoid tearing the veil and possibly destroying reality if 
we filter it very carefully through this zone that has all these in-world gods to counterbalance us. Stealing the entire city, putting it in another demiplane, and then when that boss encounter was resolved, it going back, it turns out, is a little much for that system to handle. Yeah, do, do you mean that was a little bit much for a high octane to handle? Or do you mean it was a little bit much for the, like, the, the system of physics inherent in the universe? The system of physics inherent in the universe. Okay. Um, okay. Because... Well, that was, that was the hook. That was the explanation. So how does Sully get from that universe to my universe? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, well-meaning outer gods tear a hole. Maybe there's a reason that they should be outer. Mm-hmm. So that went through a whole bunch of crazy stuff that A, touches on some very pivotal points of lore that I might not even want to reveal on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Because those, some of it's tied into books that I will not get to write for years on an ideal time scale. Yeah. But mostly, even ignoring that because... That involves that other OC I mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. But Sale, um, what was happening this month? This is where, this is where we come back to Sale. Mm-hmm. She'd been on a long-term quest uh, back in her home country. Mm-hmm. And she was actually following, uh, working on behalf of a prince controlled by another player. Because it was basically his country. But because of the timeline of this world having involved this cyclical, like very classical fantasy cycles of world-ending threat all but destroy civilization building back up kind of stuff yeah um he actually got cast through time at the end of the previous cycle okay uh samurai jacked if you will a little bit yeah yeah so he was it was really fun because Sali was from the, the contemporary version of the country and he was from the older much more heavily roman based version okay um and it was funny because uh, i i found out later that he thought that the Roman version of the country would still be there. Oh. Whereas to me, it's seemed intuitive. Well, it's, it's been thousands of years. Obviously, they would have gotten more Renaissance. Yeah, yeah. That is a, that is, that is a fair leap of logic, I would say. Mm-hmm. But that turned out to be really interesting because the, the prince was always butting up against this sense of loss for the country that he'd known. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get to enjoy it much either because it turned out that things had gone right into the toilet while she was away mm-hmm. because she'd done this long overseas trip. Like now that my school is set up in my home country, I'm going to go overseas and tell people about how cool we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do the press tour. So she gets back to find out. Uh, so these like dragon blood infused orcs are invading most of the country. Um, the dragon lords who were supposed to be keeping things in order have either died or just gone somewhere. And there's like, one of them who's holding things together. Okay. Okay. So, so, so Sally comes back into this, into Mm. this entire mess of a situation that, that she was completely unaware of. Mm. Um, where, like what, how did she kind of, how did she react to that? Which then led into the whole, uh, the whole, the whole, uh, universe jump. (laughs) Yeah. She, she didn't know how to handle it much better than anyone else. Um, mm-hmm. But she was thinking, this will be simple. We'll just go with Prince Marcia back to his homeland. He'll reclaim the throne. Dynasty, because that was the name. I still love it. Uh, we'll experience a new golden age. Mm-hmm. And so they get back to find... No, 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 he won't. Everything is very, very on fire. Yeah. Um, so her first priority when she settled... I mean, she had a conflict of interest. Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, she's like, well, I know my school is into the parts of the country that are being overrun by the orcs. I want to go there and help defend it if necessary. Mm-hmm. 
And actually, I never got a chance to do anything with it, but the whole time, each session, I was rolling behind the scenes to see, are they still holding out? Yeah. Um, and as far as we got, they were actually doing pretty good. Good. But uh, Sally never got to find out how uh, how proud they were doing her, unfortunately. Yeah. That was the thing on the one hand, but on the other hand, they found out the prince's family, initially it seemed like they were probably dead, but then they got hints through the criminal underworld, like rumors that some guy stumbled into a cavern and found someone who looked suspiciously like the prince's father, the king of Donastir, in okay. a weird arcane sarcophagus. Hmm. Because fundamentally, even though she's not aristocratic born, she still held herself to a warrior's code of honor. Mm-hmm. And in her mind, well, she'd already given her word to help the prince on his quest. Yeah. So that was that was always lurking under the surface for the rest of the sessions. There was always this sense of um, of urgency on her part, and it often manifested in her picking fights um, where she wouldn't otherwise have, or hurling herself into the thick of things mm-hmm. to an abnormal extent. There was also one really ambiguous moment because the prince decided to solo fight a boss, and remember the system that we're dealing with. Yes, yes. Uh, a solo fight in high octane sounds like a very bad idea. But amazingly, he was actually doing really well for a, for a little while. They were actually stumbling, stumbling through the dungeon to find his his entrapped father, and they came upon this like basically Roman centurion in black armor. But maybe just better to I, leave it there. Yeah, yeah. Just an an, ar- an arcane Roman centurion, um, presumably yeah. some kind of unliving. Yeah. Um, the prince did well for a while, but started to lose ground, and it was weird for me, because I got put in the place where I had to run a DMPC, or else the party would be down one of its main damage dealers. Mm-hmm. Sale sees an opportunity and decides to go for a kill a kill strike on the Centurion thing, and mm-hmm. did the rest of its health in one hit, because it was a successful called shot to the head. I forget if it was a crit or just a really high roll. Um... Yeah. <laughs> but so, I do kind of like the ambiguity because it's unclear whether she did that for altruistic reasons to protect the prince or out of a sense of frustration and seeking glory. Um, I would have liked to explore that, but we never got the chance. Yeah, because uh, I, I, I'm i sensing the the forcing out of her universe impending. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're basically there. So there are a few more adventures that we could touch on later if we have time. But they got to the city that had been this very manipulative elven lord had taken the opportunity. Um, And on the surface, he could appear well-meaning if you you didn't look at the implications of the things he was saying. He wasn't supposed to be super subtle. It was just supposed to be that he was so charming that people didn't pay attention to what he was actually saying. Yeah. so he'd subverted the city and was letting things deteriorate there because he didn't care as long as he got what he wanted. Mm-hmm. So the group was in the process of investigating the city and picking through his nonsense. And I'd just gotten around to introducing Saleh's intended rival character. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is also still around. And I don't know if this pronunciation is totally correct. Um, but Tosa Kotoe, who is, as you'd expect from the name, an Onobushi. And she was, the idea I had in my head is I'm going to do the Jetstream Sam to Sale's Raiden. That was the okay. goal. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with MGR at all. Nope. Okay. I'll look, <laughs> um, 
You you said Jetstream, and I thought was, is that a Sonic OC? <laughs> I mean, he's he's an edgy mirror of the protagonist who has red attack energy to the protagonist's blue, so you could argue there's a Shadow Sonic dynamic going on. Okay. Um, look that up on your own time, because it's a, a fun, ridiculous game, just watching the cutscenes. It's hilarious. It's just not... Rating's a bit above streamboard. Yeah. Um, but those two are also really fun characters, so I thought I'll ape that. And Kotoe's whole shtick was that, um, because Sole had an incident in her early history, mm-hmm. where there was a merchant who was into some very shady things. Mm-hmm. And a better heroine would have um, constructed evidence and presented it to some magistrate or something. Um, Asala, due to her personal history, was not able to restrain her temper long enough to take those steps, um, and went worthy killing him in the street route. Okay. That is a, uh, that is certainly a reaction to have. Um, yeah. Get, I don't want to discuss what it was the merchant had actually done, because it's the kind of thing that I would have developed if I had more time, mm-hmm. but... As it is, some something that was egregious enough to to merit being murdered in the street. So he, I would argue, he deserved it, but that doesn't mean it was the most optimum course of action. Yeah. Because to everyone else, given that Sully presented no evidence for this, uh, it looks like a crazy woman from some iron-working town in the deep country just showed up out out of nowhere and killed a dude. Mm-hmm. So. His brother takes full advantage of that after the fact, and when he hears about this highly skilled um, female samurai with her big flaming sword, who's supposed to be a peerless Mm -hmm. duelist, um, and how she kills for pay, but only when she feels it's morally justified, he's like, cool, I'm going to get her to kill Sale. Now we come to the world jump. Because it was (laughs) a lot of build-up. Thank you for for bearing with me. Um, It was the exact moment that they were going to go down to dueling in the street. Okay. And I, I set it up like a Western thing. So, you know, Sully is walking down the street with her possibly boyfriend. And at the other end, there's just this extremely obvious boss enemy in her her dark gi with her violet Jinbari surcoat. And, oh, look, yeah. I see you also have a great sword, but I have a better great sword. Yeah. Because I'm your rival. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the point where the world explodes. Okay, okay. That is a very good point at which, if if everything had to go boom, that is a good point at which to have it go boom. Especially for well, Sally the, as a character. Well, the thing is, where it gets interesting is because I, di- I wasn't comfortable still using uh, my friend's system after I'd broken off from him and taken my characters with me. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I'd been doing some preliminary uh, preliminary setup, and I switched over to using mine. Mm-hmm. And so the system is a concept called success threshold, or failure okay. threshold if you fail. Um, and it's, hmm? Real quick, like I, I definitely am interested in hearing this. Um, oh, no, is it is it relevant to Sally as a character? <laughs> Only in the sense that it justifies what I do to her next. Okay. Um, cool. I wanted to make sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> Thank you for keeping me on track. I'm glad you are. Um, I, I am doing my best. <laughs> but basically, 
I wanted to let her keep her mastery both, well, you know, power trip, and but also because it was her thing. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the one thing that she was always supposed to have. Yeah. But I couldn't just, I didn't feel right just bringing my PC into a system where I was also going to run her because no one else could DM it. Mm-hmm. And letting her have a massive starting advantage without working for it. Mm-hmm. So I figured the best way to reconcile this was just one big all or nothing test. And yeah. the test was, you may have switched worlds. You may be tumbling through the void in like just upon shards of ripped away planet. Kotoe is still going to fight you. Okay. You're not getting away from this. Okay. So this... T- this is a very big, like, Kingdom Hearts vibe I'm getting right now. I've never actually played Kingdom Hearts, I should clarify, but... Me me either, but I feel like in that series, there's a lot of, like, I'm going to sword fight you as we change realities kind of a, kind of a vibe happening. I, I can believe it, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Um, so they, they wash up in this plane that is just obscured by Hellfire and Brimstone and all these mm-hmm. weird ethereal fires... I had some nice little details I'm still fond of, like, rocks and other parts of the environment periodically catching fire and melting a little bit, and then fire going away and then returning in different areas. Okay. So things just randomly catching on fire without connection to anything that you can mm-hmm. see. Um, so Sally stumbled through it a bit. Fortunately, she did well on her navigation rolls because she had no one to help. Yeah. Um, despite sensory penalties, too. And eventually she found her way to... The boss fight arena, which is this weird old structure. And that's where she and Kotoe throw down. Mm-hmm. The thing about the fight is that because it was done while I was still firming up system mechanics, the first time Sale just walked over Kotoe. It was laughable. Yeah. And I said, no. I, I'm not okay with this. This isn't a good enough fight. Mm-hmm. So I rebalanced the encounter. Um, like, there were things that I thought Kotoe had that would shift things in her favor that didn't. Um, some dice-based, action-based abilities that weren't nearly enough. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's dice for you. <laughs> so I rejiggered it to make sure that they had the same the same attack values and that Kotoe even had a slight statistical advantage. Um, mm-hmm. The equalizer was that Sali had managed to scavenge one, one breastplate. Okay. And in my system, a breastplate, well, any piece of plate armor is really good to have. Mm-hmm. So, um, the second time I, for some reason, thought now that the, the rolls were the same, or the base bonuses were the same, they would be much more equal. Yes, and? <laughs> it went almost the opposite direction for the vast majority of the fight. Okay, okay. Um, where Kotoe was real, uh, rolling very high. And Sally was rolling pretty... She didn't get any at ones, or else she probably would have died. Yes. <laughs> because, again, it's success threshold on matched rolls. So the results are either balanced or very, shall we say, pronounced. But the fact that it's D20s usually keeps it much more reasonable. Yeah. But even so, Kotoe just really wiped the floor with Sally. Um, mm-hmm. She still has a couple of pretty pronounced facial scars from that fight. Okay. okay. And... It was going very definitively in the Samurai's favor, favor this time, mm-hmm. to the point where um, I don't have death saves, per se. Yeah. I have 
mortality, which is a quasi-similar concept, except that if you fail badly enough the first time... And it, at this time, it was that if you failed your mortality save, you died instantly. Yikes. Sully got a natural 20. Nice. Which instead meant that she got an adrenaline surge. Okay. And this was not the point where she suddenly started winning the fight, guaranteed. It gave mm-hmm. her exactly enough extra actions um, for one Hail Mary attack at Kotoe's yeah. head. Yeah. Um, which was a spectacular success and left them both at the point where if either of them took another good hit, it could be the end. Okay. Okay. So I, I figured this is what I wanted. It's the end of the turn. Sully did have some successful roles in Empathy, but not quite enough to persuade Kotoe to back down. Yeah. Maybe now that they're both about to collapse, if this goes on any longer, they can talk things out. And? That went over. So this ended with them limping out of that plane. Well, Sully limping out, Kotoe passed out because the nature of the... The wound required some first aid measures that are probably a bit raw to go into detail on about this about the stream. Yeah. Or on the stream. About the stream. Linguistics. We're fine. Yeah. Um, so that's how they finally wound up in my system. Uh, and okay. by extension, Sully 100% became part of the canon of my universe. Nice. I mean, sometimes you just, uh, sometimes the world just collapses and then you end up in a demiplane fighting your rifle and then you end up in a separate plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, that was basically the conclusion they later drew. Mm-hmm. At the time, I wasn't sure if I made the right call, but looking back, if it had been someone else's player character in the same situation, I would have given them the same out. So, mm-hmm. I-, I feel like it works. Um... There was literally no fudging of dice or anything. Everything that happened in that fight happened organically, based yeah. on the stats they brought in. So, it was what I wanted. Nice. After that, Sully started developing an interest in armor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could definitely understand why why uh, why she would have that interest. Helmets become much more compelling when you realize that people can actually hit you in your exposed face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is why uh, that is why proper armor is important, kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so we have covered a lot of ground with Sale in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you want to touch on before I go into the last question of the night, recording day, whatever time is a time is a flat circle. <laughs> um, nothing in particular. Okay, then in that case, Colin, your final question for the night is: Why do you love Sale so much? Because she is always talking a little bit above what she can actually do, at least if she thinks she needs to prove a point. But Mm -hmm. she still has a good heart, and she usually backs up her words with actions. Usually. Yes. Usually. Usually. Uh, Quote. uh, Not quote. um, Footnote. Citations needed. Several. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so... Thank you so much for coming on the recording today, Colin. It was really it was really fun to hear about all of the different places that Sally has gone over the course of her existence as a character. Can you, can you believe I thought I wasn't going to have enough to talk about? <laughs> See, like, that's the thing, is like, I mean, for, for heaven's sake, I literally had one of my friends on an episode a few weeks ago, and we we talked about a character that she made up when she was seven, and... You'd be surprised at the places that you can go when you're talking about a character that you care about. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and and I enjoyed it, and I hope that you had a good time. 
Oh, it's my pleasure being here. Thank you very much for having me. You're welcome. Okay, so now now is time for promo. Where would you like to be found on the internet? Do you have anything that you want to shout out? Any work that you want to promote or direct people to? I think it would be best to direct people to my blog rather than my Twitter account. Okay. Um, because my Twitter account has a big old red circle with an 18 in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I don't know if there's any listeners to this podcast that are that are not legal adults. So I guess uh, I guess discretion advised. <laughs> But anyway, I can't change the URL, at least not without paying more money, so even though I've turned my moniker gender neutral now, um, Mm -hmm. the blog is still Northborn Swordsman on WordPress, and it's a mix of writing advice, random observations, short stories. Occasionally I even throw up really annoying things like poetry. Um, Yeah. I I actually love doing poetry, I just don't do it very often. But if people are interested in that, there's... Some weapon renders there that are older now, but still look nice. Okay. But otherwise, if you just want free fantasy material or writing advice that you can apply to any genre, you can find it there. Okay. Uh, I do want to give a, a shout out to my, my friend Alice, who is the person who actually took the words and random sources I threw at her and designed Soleil. Okay. She runs under, I believe it's Pocket Illustration on Tumblr. Okay. She's the one who designed T- Sally. She has a very, very charming, expressive, illustrative style. So I recommend looking her up. Nice. And that's my little shout out. Cool. The Home for Rainbow Seas is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. It can be found on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Acast, Stitcher, and whatever other local podcatcher you use. And if we're not there, let us know and we can work on actually getting onto that one. <laughs> because aggregates are weird. Our theme song is Violet by Pottington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. New episodes come out on the second and fourth Mondays of the month. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be found on Twitter at WaywardOCPod or through the WaywardOCPod hashtag. You can also email us at WaywardOCPod at gmail.com. And I am not currently looking for guests for the show, but coming up within the next month or so will be the 50th episode. So for that, I will probably be doing something special. Um, I am still kicking around ideas on what that exactly will entail. So keep an eye on the Wayward Twitter account. At some point, I will probably put up a poll to make it, you know, like listener's choice as to what happens for the 50th. Uh, and if you are interested in contributing to that, you can either send me a tweet at waywardocpod or through the waywardocpod hashtag. And of course, this is a podcast, so it is always extremely helpful if you can rate and review us on your listening platform of choice, especially if you can maybe write a review. I I really like reading reviews and I don't, I, <laughs> narcissism here. I don't think there's been any new reviews for probably a few months. So if you're someone who has the ability to review on your podcatcher of choice, please do. And if you do, send it to me and then maybe I'll read it on the air. Um, because doing all of that uh, helps to promote engagement, help us to find a, more, a wider audience, and to brighten more people's days. So thank you all for listening. This has been the Home for Weird Oces, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. What was that? Oh, was was that, that was that a ghost in your computer, Colin? No, sorry. Uh, that is, we do get trains through in the distance every so often.
Hey everyone, Christina popping in here once again with a quick ad-libbed friend promo. I wanted to talk to y'all about a podcast that I personally have gotten into within the last few weeks. It is called Tone Deaf, A Theater Nerd's Guide for Their Spouse. And the premise of it is pretty simple. Um, married couple, one of them is very much so into musical theater, the other one has very little experience. And so the podcast is about the two of them going through, watching one musical at a time, and discussing and reacting and critiquing what they see. Um, I I am personally working through the entire backlog from oldest episodes to newest. So, so far, some of my favorite episodes have been the one they did on cats. And, oh gosh, and they did one on Godspell that I just listened to today, which was a lot of fun. So if you are interested in listening to it, as far as I can tell, they're on all of the traditional podcasting platforms, you know, Apple, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, that kind of a thing. And their Twitter handle is at Tone Deaf Musical. Highly recommended. Uh, That's it. And y'all will hear me on the next episode of Wayward. Bye.